Sunday morning. Um, we are in the middle of the series, and I just want to thank the worship team. The worship team did a great job this morning. Could we give a hand for the worship team? Just along the theme of Song of Solomon and uh, the love that we have for Christ and what he has for us. Um, you know, even as a pastor and coming here, I'm always open and hearing, trying to hear what God is saying to us. And um, Song of Solomon can be focused on the bride and the bride's love for Christ. But it's so important that we keep our focus on his love for us. I, I love that word that Pastor Eddie gave. But how many of you know that in all the scripture, um, almost all the scripture is focused on Jesus? How many of you know that? When you read all the stories of the Bible, it is about Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, it points to the Savior that uh, has come in the New Testament. And Jesus said that he, at, at, after he resurrected from the dead and he was walking with his disciples, he was walking with his disciples and telling his disciples of all the scripture that pertained to him because the whole book is written about Jesus Christ. And when you read the Bible through the lens of it revealing who Christ is, it becomes a completely different book. But how many of you know that there's another character in scripture that is just as important as Jesus? What character do you think that is? God? No. <laughs> Sorry, Miles. Abraham? His mother? The body of Christ. The bride of Christ. Because when you become one, it's equally as important. And out of all the scriptures, there's one book that describes the bride of Christ, which is the Song of Solomon. And as I was reading Song of Solomon, I started realizing that it's not just Song of Solomon that talks about the bride of Christ, but because Solomon wrote the Song of Songs, he also wrote... Is that me? Oh. <laughs> there's an alarm going on. Um, that's the alarm that wakes me up in, in the morning. Um, I believe that, that Psalms 31 is also a description of the bride of Christ. Um, and we can, we can get into that later. But um, most of the Bible is a, a description of Jesus, but the Song of Solomon is a description of us, the bride and his church. Uh, if you are here for the first time, um, I just want to catch you up really quick that the background of the Song of Solomon, Solomon talks about the Shulamite woman, and there is no such thing as a Shulamite, but there is such thing as a Shumanite, uh, which was Abishag, the, the most beautiful woman in all of Israel who was given to warm the body of David when he was dying. And Solomon couldn't have him, but we speculate that Solomon was in love with Abishag, but couldn't take her as a wife because she belonged to him. Uh, his father. Uh, but he had so much respect and memorializes Abishag in the Song of Solomon and Psalms 31. And these two things are a description not just of Abishag, but the bride of Christ. Because the whole Song of Songs is really a description not between a man and a woman, just a man and a woman, but the perfect love between Christ and his church, which is you and me. So, as I was reading this, in the past couple weeks, 
this has become one of my most favorite books with some of the deepest and richest insights that I've ever seen in scripture, and I'm really excited about it. I can read it and get new things from it every single day. But God is preparing a bride, a people who will be worthy of his son. A people that will be worthy of his son. Jesus is a preparer, and he prepares things for us. And we did a whole series on Jesus the preparer, and how he doesn't just do things on the fly, but he prepares ahead of time. And one of the stories that we talked about was how uh, the, the de demoniac that Jesus went across the lake to, to rescue, at the end, people came up to him and he was fully clothed. Where did he get that clothes from? Because they found him fully clothed. And if you go back in scripture, it says that Jesus was lying down on a pillow as he was going across the lake. And it can be theorized that that pillow was the clothing that he knew he was going to give to the demoniac who was currently naked. And he knew that when he healed him, he would want clothes. And Jesus came prepared. Jesus comes prepared to us. And, and if he would come prepared that much to demoniac, how much more would he prepare us, his bride, for a wedding? How many of you have prepared a wedding? How many of you women have prepared a wedding? There's a lot of preparation that goes into that. But... Jesus, he's preparing a bride. He's preparing you and me. How does he prepare us? How does he prepare us? Let's read the first verse this morning from Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. One, two, three. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, hit, uh, up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So something happens when you read the word of God and something's been happening to me as I read Song of Solomon because as I read Song of Solomon, I'm seeing who the bride of Christ really is. And what are the characteristics of the bride of Christ? And I'm like, man, God, you got to do a lot of work in me because I'm nothing like this, this woman. And, and so the more that we can get into the word and the Holy Spirit can speak to us, the more he transforms our hearts and lives. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how, I just, how many of you have been in the book of the Song of Solomon since we've jumped into this series? I want to I I encourage you to jump into this book because there's so much good stuff in this book that helps change who we are as people. It's the word that prepares us. It's like one of the things we had to discipline our kids to do was bathe every day. Because bathing every day isn't natural, and kids don't want to bathe every day. My sister, she doesn't bathe every day. I just, I just want to let you, she, she moved, she was here in Hawaii, you know, where we sweat every day, and then when she went to Michigan, she was like, wow, I don't even sweat, so she doesn't take a bath every day, I like, that's, you, you, Sharina, I love you, I know you're watching this, and she has a lake near her house, and if she goes skiing in the lake with her, you know, she doesn't take a bath, um, and a lot of us, you laugh at Sharina, but that's the way we are spiritually, that we don't take our bath by jumping into the water of the word. 
And the, the word is the thing that cleanses us. The word is the thing that changes and transforms our lives. And so when we get into the word, there's something spiritually that happens that the Holy Spirit begins to cleanse all the junk that's in our lives. Look at the person next to you and tell the person next to you, you need a bath. You need a spiritual bath. Um, okay, so I, I, I'm going to give you just a, a little tool. Like when you read the Bible, I want to encourage you that uh, th there's this rule called the principle of the second mention. And so when you read scripture, a lot of times when something doesn't make sense, you have to look for where that thing was mentioned in other places of the Bible. Um, for instance, <clears throat> uh, and this comes from 2 uh, Corinthians 13, 1, it says, and this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So in Corinthians, it says that you need two or three witnesses for any truth to be established. But then in Deuteronomy 19.15, it reiterates that. Actually, it was the first time that it said that. Corinthians it was the one that reiterated it. But it says, one witness shall not rise up against a man for the iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses, everyone say two, or at the mouth of three witnesses shall every matter be established. So the word of God teaches us how to interpret the word of God. And that's, we have to look for second mentions. So we talked about a couple of those things when we were looking at Song of Solomon that doesn't make sense unless you match it up with other things in scripture. So we talked about the chariots, right? And how in Deuteronomy, God said, don't multiply chariots. Don't buy chariots from Egypt because you came from Egypt. I don't want you going back. Don't multiply wives. Don't multiply gold. And what did Solomon do? He multiplied all those things. He did everything wrong, right? So we know that in that, the passage of scripture, the Song of Solomon, that Solomon, the king that did everything wrong, is not the bride of Christ. That's not the good guy. But there's a shepherd who is the good guy who wins the heart of the woman. So, so are you guys following me? Okay, so um, to understand, we need to know the word. And so I just want to encourage you, this is something that you can do that is the washing of the water of the word every day. Just read the word. Go through the Bible at least once a year, okay? I'm going to do this. I just am interested. How many of you have read through the entire Bible at least once in your life? Raise your hand high. Okay. If you have not, that's the project that you, Shalise, every year from January to March, she reads the whole Bible in three months. And then the rest of the year, she just like picks and chooses what she wants to read. But every one of us should know the entire scripture. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit will bring into remembrance the things that you have heard. But he can't bring things into remembrance if we haven't heard them to begin with. So our role as Christians, if we want to get washed by the water of the word, we got to go through scripture. We have to at least read it so that he can bring it back into remembrance. And the Song of Solomon is so cool because it's been bringing stuff into remembrance of things that I have read before. Um, to understand the Shulamite, you have to understand Solomon. And so uh, this is a really, this, this sermon, we're just going to go through a couple principles. Um, but I really want to encourage you, because we could spend the next several months on the Song of Solomon, but I want to just give you some cool principles, things that touched my heart as I was reading through it. And I want to encourage you to jump into uh, the Word and to um, find the gems in scripture that will change your life. Um, okay, so Song of Solomon. Let's 
I want to read from Song of Solomon. If you're with me, say, I'm here. (laughs) Okay, Song of Solomon, chapter 3. And she talks about she's on her bed, she's searching for uh, for her beloved, blah, blah, blah goes down to verse 5. And then she says this, Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchant fragrance powders? Behold, it's Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it, of the valiant of, of Israel. They all hold swords, being experts in war. Every man has a sword on his side because of the fear of the night. So she's describing him. He's like, this procession that precedes him. He's very wealthy. He has chariots from Israel. He has men that are the most valiant of Israel, that are carrying swords. He has power and protection, and anybody who is a part of his harem uh, benefits from that. Of the wood of Lebanon, Lebanon, Solomon the king made him a palaquin. Uh, It's made of silver and supports of gold. Uh, There's seats of purple, the interiors paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. And then she says this, she says, O go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. And that verse jumped out at me. That verse jumped out at me where it says, uh, and which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. And I was like, when did Solomon get married? And who did he get married to? Because last week we talked about Solomon having 700 wives and 300 concubines. And then I thought, what was the name of his wife? How many of you know the name of Solomon's wife? We know that David had Abigail and Michael. We, we have no idea of the names of Solomon's wife. So I went to scripture. I was like, where does it talk about Solomon's wedding? You know where it talks about Solomon's wedding? In First Kings, let, let's read this. 1 Kings 3, verse 1. 1 three, uh, Kings 3, verse 1. And Solomon made, and so if you read through 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, it talks about how he solidified his rule after his father died. There's no talk about David giving a crown to Solomon. David died before he could give a crown to Solomon. He was too weak. But it says that after he solidified the kingdom by killing Joab and killing all these different guys and and setting everything up. He killed Adonijah, his brother, who was trying to take the, the throne. His first thing that he did after his kingdom was secure was this. Let's read this together. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end of the building, his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem all about. The first thing that he did was marry the daughter of Pharaoh. Why did he marry the daughter of Pharaoh? Are are these cool questions? Because to really understand what the Shulamite is talking about, you have to like jump in, look for the second mention in scripture and what was Solomon doing? Let's read this other, uh, this other passage, 2 Chronicles 1.14. Okay. 2 
Can you look up 2 Chronicles 1.14? Can we throw that up there? Okay, never mind. I'll just read it. Okay, so this is New King James Version. It says, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, which he stationed in the chariot cities and the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores, which are on the lowlands. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. The king's merchants brought them in, uh, Keva, at the current price. And they also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of, of Syria. So Solomon started his reign and his empire by forming an alliance with Egypt so that he could buy chariots and horses from Egypt and then transported them, exported them from Israel around the world, and that's how he built his wealth. That's how he got all the silver and gold so much that it was just like pebbles in Jerusalem. And what was God's warning to the kings? Don't multiply wives, don't multiply silver and gold, and don't buy chariots from Egypt. <laughs> and Solomon did all of those things. And so this Shulamite, she's like, look at Solomon and all his riches, all his gold. But the gladness of his heart came on the day that he was married to this woman from Egypt. Why? Because his heart, his heart was for wealth. His heart was for power. His heart was for accumulating wives. It wasn't for her. Isn't that good? This is a characteristic of the Shulamite woman. She didn't care about wealth. She didn't care about power. She didn't care to belong to all of his concubines and wives. She wanted to know that his heart was for her. She wasn't a gold digger. And so I started like looking at that. I was like, this is so interesting. And there's so much wisdom Wisdom in this, um, for, for, for those of you that, it, okay, we're not going to go there. She was wise about who she gave her heart to. The question that she was asking herself is, does Solomon love me? That was the most important question to her. She wasn't willing to give her heart to somebody who didn't love her for her. And in the same vein, she had to ask herself, do I want money or do I want true love? Solomon writes, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. What did Solomon love? He loved chariots, he loved money, he loved gold and silver, he multiplied wives. She made the important decision to give her heart to a shepherd whose desire was her. 
if you read that last verse in your notes, it says, she, she declares this in Song of Solomon uh, 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. She knew that the shepherd loved him. So this is how it applies to us. Jesus disguised himself as a shepherd when he came. He didn't have gold. He didn't have silver. He was born in a manger. He came as a humble servant. And the only thing that he gave this world was his love. And he is looking for a bride who will love him back and value his love above all the wealth and the riches of this world. The great thing about that is that he filters out all of the other women. He filters out all the other people whose desire is just for money, power, and fame. The bride of Christ is different. The Shulamite was different from the thousands of women that threw themselves at Solomon because she just wanted love. And when I read that, I was like, am I like the Shulamite? Have I reserved my heart for Christ, or am I pandering to both Christ and the world? Because the bride of Christ, the Shulamite woman, was different. She was different from all the other women. In Proverbs 31, 20, 29, Solomon, sa Solomon says this when he writes it. He says, many have done excellently, but you surpass them all. If, if we want to be the bride of Christ... There's an element of wanting the shepherd for the shepherd. And the amazing thing about that is the shepherd is not just the shepherd. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things are added to you because you chose what was right. It's like... Okay, so I'm going to call it Zach because I'm going kind of long. But Zach is going to talk about the second point, the, the love is tested through suffering. Can you guys give a hand for Zach? Amen. Yeah. When, you, when we were reading through uh, Song of Solomon in chapter 5, verses 2 to 9, it says that she, again, same situation as Pastor John read in chapter 3. So she's lying on her bed. She's about to go to sleep. And she says this, I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. And they beat me and they bruised me. And they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Okay. So prior to this, she's sitting down on her bed. And she's waiting to go to sleep. And she hears a knock at the door. And she immediately knows that it's the shepherd. It's her beloved. She doesn't get up immediately. She kind of tarries and waits. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm in bed. I'll just wait for him to come in. He puts his hand on the door, realizes it's locked. Locked. To her room. She realizes that the door is locked. She gets up to unlock the door, and by the time she gets there, 
he's gone. So she now frantically goes out into the city and begins to look for her beloved. Begins to look for the one that she's been desiring for five chapters. <laughs> like, where are you? Where are you? Asking people, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen him? Can you please let him know that I'm looking for him? Can you tell me where he is if you've seen him? And she's searching and searching until she comes across the watchman who then beat her and disgrace her. And after that, she doesn't, she doesn't stop and she's... She keeps going with her passion and her love for the beloved. And after she's beaten, she continues to call out. And she says, if you've seen him, let him know that I'm sick with love. Let him know that I'm searching for him. The, the situation that she had just gone through did not deter her away from continually seeking after her beloved. And you catch that. Because a lot of times we will go through trials, we will go through persecution, whatever it may be, and we will come up short and we'll stop chasing after God because we have been hurt. God doesn't hurt us. It says The Bible tells us that every good thing comes from God. But the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. And so if the enemy is coming against us and utilizing the people in our lives or situations in our lives to persecute us, to bring us down, to put us through these impossible, seemingly impossible situations, God is still right there calling us in, drawing us in. But she had this knowledge and understanding of the love of the Father that led her to continue to push past it, okay, to push past the, the hurt that she just went to, the disgrace, because it not, not only said that she was beaten, but they took her veil from her. And in, the, in that culture, that was a big thing. It represented their, like, their purity. And so to have that taken away was disgraceful for her. But the point we want to make is that that love that is tested through suffering is refined and it is strengthened. When we put our hope and our trust in the Lord and we stand upon his promises, that's where we can push through. She had an understanding of the love of, of the beloved. This unconditional love that just drew her in, pulled her in. And when she sought after it and when she, when she was met with opposition, she continued to press through. Because she knew how much her beloved loved her. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we give uh, Zach a hand? Worship team, can you come up? We're going to close with this last point. <clears throat> We're going to close with this whole, this whole series with this last point. And if you notice, we didn't go through the whole book of the Song of Solomon. We just took different parts of it. Um, I would want to encourage you to jump into it because you have enough of 
what we've talked about, to be able to read the Song of Solomon through the right lens and to get uh, a lot of good nuggets out of it. Um, point three in your notes. The bride is the second Eve. Can everyone say that? The bride is the second Eve. If Jesus, when Adam was, when Adam was created, God said, it's, it's not good that man should be alone. And so God made Adam a helpmate, Eve, right? If Jesus is the second Adam, he needs a helpmate. The helpmate is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the second Eve. If, if, the bride, if Jesus is the first, second Adam, the bride is the second Eve. Now, how do I get that? Eve had a choice. So when I was reading this, um, if you read um, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, as the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow, like how Robin was talking about the shadow. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Another, another second reference, a taste and see that the Lord is good. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Where in scripture is there a woman among the choice of trees, and she chooses the wrong tree? She has a choice between a fruit of the tree of life or the fruit that was desirable to the eyes, desirable to the taste, and that would make one wise. She had this choice between the two trees. And here we have the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ is standing between two trees. And instead of choosing the tree of Solomon, which was the wisdom of the world, pleasant to the eyes, all the gold and all the silver, desiring to make one wise, that was good to the taste, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, Instead of choosing Solomon, what did she choose? She chose the tree of life. The bride of Christ is the second Eve that is in the garden amongst the trees. The garden of Eden, there was only one wrong choice, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in the world, among all the trees, there is only one good choice, and the good choice his name is Jesus. Jesus is life. And he's looking for a bride that will forsake all else, that will count everything else as rubbish so that she can pursue the one whose desire is for her. This morning, we're going to close with this song, Give Me Jesus. I think it's such a fitting song to close this series with. I remember when I read, I read uh, Adam and Eve for the first time, I was like, Adam is such a dummy. And Eve is stupid. If I was in the garden, I would have easily chose the tree of life. How many of you ever heard, thought about that? Like, if I was there in the garden, I would have made the right choice. 
Well, I have news for you. You are in the garden, and you have a choice, and you make that choice every single day between the tree of life and the world. And 1 John 2.16, we're going to finish with this. 1 John 2.16 says this. Can you throw that verse up there? First John 2.16, 2, it says, all that's in the world, the only thing that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is not of the Father, but it's in the world. That's the only thing that's in the world. But we have a choice every day when we wake up. Are we going to give our hearts to the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life? Or are we going to be like the beloved, the bride of Christ and give our hearts to the tree of life? I sat under his shade and I tasted of his fruit and it was sweet and it was good. Can we all stand? Let's close with this song. You said that, that you would wash us with your word so that we would continually be more and more like you as we know who we are in you, as we know the destiny that we have. Lord, we know that you are coming back soon and that there is a reward with you. And God, we pray every morning, every hour of the day, Lord, we, we have a choice to make. We are in that garden and we have a choice to make between choosing you and choosing the things of this world. God, I pray for every single one of us, Lord, as we're walking through life, and as we're presented with choices, Lord, that we can give our time, our energy, our focus, our hearts to, to silver and gold and money and the, the dollar and, and, and things that, that the world can offer us. But God, give us the discernment of the Shulamite. Lord, the world does not have our best interests at heart. The world doesn't care about us. But Lord, 2,000 years ago, you came and you proved that you had a love for us that was greater than anything else, even your own life. God, you gave your life to show that you loved us more than anything else. And you're looking for a bride who has the same passion and desire towards you. God, we repent this morning of giving our hearts to other things. And God, we want to give our heart completely to you that we would be like that woman that wouldn't be drawn away by the trappings of this world, but would be focused solely on you. God, we give our lives to you. We surrender to you this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts and lives. Cleanse us and purify us. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. The Lord loves you. May he keep you, may his face shine upon you, and give you his peace. God bless you. We have Ohana Day, Pickle.